Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Angelos Musagidis, product-led growth lead at Glowfox. In this episode, Angelos shared his take on product-led growth, followed by the biggest misconceptions and mistakes companies make when they think about adopting a product-led strategy. We then discussed why companies need to forget the data analytics and take a more human approach to diagnose churn and retention. We dove into methods, tactics, and stages of the user journey that you can focus on to extract meaningful insights and help you truly understand the reasons for churn beyond the service level responses we typically get in exit surveys. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Angus, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you, man? I'm getting you. For the listeners, Angulos is the product-led growth lead at Glowfox, an all-in-one management software built to support fitness operators of any size. He is also the growth product manager at Growth Sandwich, a research agency he founded as well as a product-led growth mentor at Growth Mentor. Angelos was previously a product manager at Octopus Investments and the head of marketing at Startup Bootcamp. So my first question for you is, what's your definition of product-led growth and what is the biggest misunderstanding you think people have with the term product-led? Okay, very good question. There are a lot of misunderstandings about the, the, um, the product-led growth, the product-led My definition about uh, product-led growth, very simple. I don't... I don't have a handy by the book definition for you, but what is product-led growth is when we lead with the product, when we put the UX and the experience of our user at the center of our attention and we lead with that. So the what is product-led growth gets highlighted even more when we compare it with what is sales-led growth and marketing-led growth. So there is a principle that differentiates product-led growth and everything else. And that is the principle of show instead of telling. So we show what we are working on. We show our product. We try to demonstrate our value by showing instead of telling, instead of arguing, instead of explaining. That is basically the, I think, a more humane definition of product-led growth that doesn't include a lot of buzzwords. Yeah, I definitely, I think the, the ending there, the buzzwords, I think this is something for me that's really like, been a buzzword term that's been picked up a lot 
it's nothing really new. It's more just about like the framing of uh, a method that people have been adopting for like for years, but definitely is very, very powerful. And I think for me, one of the misconceptions as well is that like it's one or the other. And this is something that like a lot of companies say, oh, we're a product-led growth company. And then just like, we don't care about anything else, but in retrospect, like that's not reality and that's not how you build and grow a business. Like you can just have one that's more dominant than the other, but really at the end of the day, uh, you still need to be working on marketing. You still need to be working on sales. It's not just good enough to have an amazing UX and experience. There are a lot of a lot of misconceptions in the market. Let's start with uh, with a basic one. Product-led growth is good. That's the first misconception. Product-led growth is what it is. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. It doesn't mean that sales-led growth is bad. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of companies um, start committing to their investors that, oh, we are going to become product without being ready being product-led without examining the fact that, hey, your company is growing very nicely at the moment without being product-led. Do you really want to change that at the moment? Have you tested your readiness? They consider product-led growth as a, as a silver bullet. It's, it's the new growth hacking, let's say. As another misconception, very common in the market, is that, oh, uh, as soon as I have a product-led onboarding, it means that I'm product-led. So just the onboarding doesn't make you product-led. Yeah. And the third thing is what you mentioned. It's either one or the other, which is which is very, very problematic because SaaS founders need to realize that a company can be 30% product-led, 50%, 80% product-led. It really depends on literally on a dozen different factors on what is your product-led level that you can be. And product-led isn't one thing specifically. At the end of the day, it's the show don't tell principle. So you can achieve that with multiple different ways. It's not necessarily sticking a user onboarding and going for PQLs, not just for that. Sure. Absolutely. And just like sort of, it's many different aspects and inputs uh, that go into it. Like similarly, we're chatting just before the show uh, and the notion of like churn and retention. This was one of those things that really bothered me before starting the show was like, how people would try to dumb down things to single digits, to single numbers, to single inputs. When really sort of the challenges like faced by companies uh, when it comes to sort of growing the business and then retaining customers, really, there's just so many different inputs that go into it and so many different aspects that influence it. So I think as humans, we try to simplify things to their rawest form and just uh, give one definition to, to drum into it. Very rarely like do the really successful companies that excel at product rate growth or retention understand that it's not just a single number or a single focus here. It's really about the full package and looking and understanding all the inputs. Exactly. And especially in the product-led era where functions come way, way close, where we break the silos and we bring growth very close to customer success and customer success very close to product, everything starts being very, very interconnected. So treating different problems as these functions problems or that functions problems is isn't a very effective way of thinking exactly it's it's the customer's problems we should be focusing on switching gears a little bit to to the topic of today obviously churn and retention itself this is something you've had experience uh, with quite a bit in in your prior roles and where you are today as well we chatted and we thought it'd be good as well to talk a little bit about the human side of churn and retention and uh, i'll hand over to you to sort of explain what you what you meant by that when uh, we started chatting earlier okay yeah sure so a common, a common theme that I, that I encounter at SaaS businesses is that SaaS teams tend to consider churn or retention as, as a number. They tend to detach 
from uh, what that actually means and they see it as a number and they see it as a figure and they see it as a graph into their product analytics. But what we, what we fail to understand is that when you are using a software or a solution or anything in life and at some point you stop using it, it's because you had some expectations about that which either has changed, have changed now and you have different expectations or your expectations were not met. So lots of people tend to um, treat churn reactively to tend to give it as a task to customer success, to save customer success, when in fact they don't really treat the source of the problem. This is the symptom. Churn is ultimately the expression of the problem, how the, the problem expresses itself and not the problem itself. So if we, if we think of it like humans, the perspective starts changing. Absolutely. I think definitely like the ability to empathize uh, with your analytics is something that it's a very, very hard skill. When I was previously as well, working at Hotjar and the head of business intelligence there, one of the things I was really pushing for and encouraging analysts to do was actually go out and speak to customers uh, and really understand what their pain points are because you can look at a graph and you can like understand what churn and retention is doing, but you only really see like what's happening. You don't understand the why. And having that additional context uh, behind really helps you and makes you a better analyst, uh, being able to really empathize with the user, be able to empathize with the pain points and the problems. And I think it's something very, very healthy to do and something that I think a lot of companies go through sort of this maturity stage when it comes to analytics and it's sort of like, okay, analytics is everything. And then it's realizing, okay, slowly, slowly, like we don't understand the why behind these things. We really need to layer on top now research. And my view on this as well is like, there's a big problem that companies make today is where we, we separate these functions where we have UX research on one side of the company. We have uh, product analytics on the other side. And very rarely do they work together. Very rarely do they bring together the what and the why, the numbers and the people behind, uh, behind churn. So let's dive into that a little bit. Like, what does your process look like when going into to a company to trying to understand sort of what are some of the, the whys and what are some of the reasons for churn that where expectations are not being met? Okay. When a company comes to me with a churn problem, of course, the first thing that I have to do is examine the problem and check all the relevant data. Uh, and see if they actually have a churn problem. Lots of businesses think they have a problem. And in fact, they might not have the problem or have another instead. So what the data are saying, let's assume that the data uh, is telling us that there is indeed a churn problem. Then there are a couple of questions that, that arise. Is it a temporary churn problem? Is it a churn problem that started now that was persistent in the past? How is, how is marketing performing? Are we managing to bring customers in? Are we struggling to bring customers in? Do we have a situation where we, it's easy for us to bring new customers, but then we're easily losing them as well? So just to, just to shape a picture of what's going on across the business. As soon as this picture is, is shaped, then I typically follow the process of analyzing the value gap. So what is the value gap? The value gap is basically the incongruence between expectations that people come in and reality. So what are the expectations that you were having and what is the reality that you faced? Practically speaking, for me to, to do that, I start by uh, interviewing the power users of the business, the best users. 
best users are different uh, across different businesses. Typically, on a B2B SaaS, they mix, a, a part, in order to define a power user, you need to mix both engagement data and financial data and retention data. So we need to understand what is it, what is the baseline here? What is that the best customers are telling us? Because by establishing that, we can, we can then highlight the difference between that and anything else. So as soon as we, we, we establish that, we start speaking with churned users, fresh churned users that remember their disappointment, they remember why they stopped using our solution. It's very important to be fresh because you will realize by doing that job that people tend to either forget the reason that they churn or they might attribute it to different reasons. For yeah. example, the, the, uh, way it's very, the way you're describing it as well, it sounds like you're picking off like a tomato off the tree and it's like this fresh churned users. I'm, I'm really getting the juice uh, yeah, from them. So yeah, go on. Lots of the people are attributing the, the reason of their churn too, and I'm pretty sure you will empathize with that too. It's too expensive for me, or I'm not using it anymore. These are the two most common reasons that people uh, stop using a solution. The question is, why did it start being too expensive for you now? Yeah. And too expensive compared to what? That's the first question. And then I stopped using it. Why did you stop using it? When did you start? When, mm. it, when did you stop using it? When did you consider stopping using it? What happened? What did we fail to do? So yeah. businesses don't really uh, recognize that. Instead, what they do is they take the feedback at the face value and they're like, oh, it's, uh, we are too expensive. We should get cheaper. Or people are not using us anymore. Perhaps we should bring more people. I don't know. All sorts of different solutions. Yeah. For sure. And definitely, I think that face level is a big problem with a lot of companies. Yeah, and a lot of companies are so very early in their understanding of what user research is and how you can really go deep in understanding sort of the jobs to be done and the pain points uh, of your users. Because it, it is very easy to sort of put out a survey at the end when people churn and say, what is the reason? And then realize, okay, everybody says it's too expensive. But like you say, like, there's a reason. At some point, they signed up for your product and it wasn't too expensive at that point in time. So what changed uh, in between that time? And uh, th there can be a number of different reasons. You alluded to some of them, like marketing and the promise fit not being there, potentially sales overselling and the, the solution not delivering. Like These are some of more of the, the deeper reasons. And uh, I think like, what technique do you typically then go and implore to really try and understand and go deeper below the surface? I use both qualitative and quantitative uh, data, and I also use both uh, ad hoc research, but also try to establish processes that bring this data automatically back to the business and create feedback loops. So as I said, I will start with user interviews. In the same time, I will tweak the, ca the cancellation experience, but also the onboarding experience to collect, of course, not the depth of the data that I can collect with interviews, but to collect expectations that users come in with and expectations that are not met. Yeah. And in the same time, we might run surveys exactly for the same purpose as well. So in that case, we, we have both qualitative and quantitative data go hand in hand. The one are telling us the what, uh, and they're giving us the directions. Here's where you have to look uh, further. And the qualitative gives us the why, the deeper whys. Um, following that process, I was surprised in the past to realize that a 
a very a very good number of people of uh, companies that suffer from churn they actually suffer from positioning issues so they might incorporate a lot of resources or they might put pressure to their customer success team while instead they should have they should have done a reality check to their positioning to the expectations that they create because at the end of the day what they did were was trash in trash out yeah i think that's like for me positioning it's like really surprising the deeper you go into sort of understanding the problem of general attention, how much of an influence it really does have uh, on the final outputs. And it's something that most people, I don't think would even think to think about it when it comes to churn and uh, retention of how much influence it really does have on the product. And you can position a product in one way and just have terrible churn, terrible retention, and then just slightly tweak the messaging, potentially slightly tweak the audience and you can have a great business. So words, words like really, really matter, I think, in this case. So I liked as well the sense that you're you're looking at it from both the lenses, you're asking questions like, what are some of the questions you're asking in these user interviews on both ends and what do these, the surveys look like? Okay, okay, about the questions. The line of questioning is pretty easy. It's pretty easy to understand for everybody that, that is listening to, the, to this conversation. The difficult part starts from the attitude of asking unbiased questions and the specific wording that you have to use in order not to bias the answer that you're getting. But at the end of the day, it's very simple. Uh, when we speak with power users, we're, what is it that you are achieving with us? What is the outcome that you are doing with us? What is the job that you are doing? What is the value that you are getting? We want to establish what is it that they perceive as value? What are the jobs that they're doing with us? How their life is changing by our solution? Then there are some other follow-up questions. These, these are typically easy conversations because these people like us. So we can ask them, okay, b- before starting with us, what other solutions have you considered to do this job or to have this value? And they don't necessarily need to be software. B2B soft. They can be people, they can be processes, they can be anything. So they start giving you alternatives, not competitors, alternatives. And then considering that these are good, good users and they like us, we, we might start uh, questioning, okay, what are the goods and the bads of each of these options? And then lastly, what I do with power users is I ask them to give me use cases. So I sometimes might ask them to share the screen and show me how they use something. Or they might tell me different scenarios that they are uh, using the software. And then I try to pair this up with their demographics. So the, the jobs to be done mindset typically conflicts with demographics. But in that case, it doesn't because it's a reverse engineering of the situation. We don't lead with demographics. We lead with jobs to be done. And then we try to correlate that with demographics. For example, if you are, for example, Zoom, Zoom let's an example a company um if they do the research and they realize that you know what there are certain jobs to be done that we are delivering well that we are doing very well for our customers and these jobs to be done typically are found there that's the correlation of jobs to be done in demographics so then i do exactly the same thing but opposite to churn churn people so what were the expectations that you had that we didn't meet what was the value that you expected that we didn't give you? What were the jobs that you wanted to do that you didn't manage to do? And regarding alternatives, what are the alternatives that you are considering now to do that? So just opposite, opposite line of questioning. 
what are the goods and the bads of, of these alternatives? The difference with churned users is that I try to uncover the timeline of actions. So that's why we need it to be fresh because I, I will go back and I will try to uncover the events that push them into actually performing the churn. Because a little note here, when you see the churn, it's not the time that customers decided to churn. It's probably just the time that they realize that they're still paying for that, but they, but they don't want to pay for that. And the time of churn probably is weeks ago, even months ago. Yeah. You just didn't know it because you didn't monitor your activity churn. You didn't, you didn't proactively uh, deal with a reduce in engagement, which was leading to a customer churn. For sure. I think this is one of the biggest reasons well, why it is so difficult to reduce churn at the point in time where people have actively decided to cancel their accounts because it's not that point in time when they've actually actively made the decision. The decision probably happened like weeks or months ago. This is just the point in time when they've actually like been motivated enough to go and uh, take out their credit card or delete their account. And, and at that point, it's almost always too late. I think there, there's obviously things you can try to win people back, but it should really be focused earlier on in their life cycle, earlier on in their journey. How can we activate? How can we make sure that there's adoption, there's engagement, and that sort of prevention is better than churn, really just focusing on never getting to that endpoint. Uh, exactly, exactly. Totally agree with you. And your cancellation experience uh, needs to address that. A anytime that I was involved in cancellation experience designs, we had to incorporate both deflection tactics, safe tactics, but at the end of the day, when the user decides to churn, the best thing you can get out of this user is feedback. And what can you learn? And I think one of the areas where I think for me is also interesting on the top of this as well, and you alluded to in the beginning as well, like the expectations really also looking at newly converted users and going into understanding like what is the expectations that they have for the product? Why did they uh, sign up today? What nearly stopped them from signing up today? These are things that I think also really, really interesting to like really complete the picture then. So you have churned users, you have really power users and you have new users just coming through the door to understand sort of the full picture. I even like to take it a step further and even look at panels then like people that are considering the product or the service uh, and what are some of the things that they're considering. So you have really like the full journey and life cycle of the user understanding uh, the different pain points at each point in time, the motivations and bringing it all together really gives you like clear picture into like who these people are, what they're trying to achieve. And clear is probably the wrong word because it, it is completely different as well for a lot of different individuals. And that would just sort of be bringing back to the data and numbers again. But uh, for the most part, you get a really, really good understanding uh, across the board. Exactly. And uh, a very empathetic understanding, which, uh, which beats every graph of this world. Because, you, because when you start speaking with fresh users, just to complete the value gap analysis, you start understanding if this fresh user will follow the path of a power user or if a churned user based on what they told you. You, you sort of see the future if you perform this analysis. Now, the, the magic part starts when instead of doing that ad hoc analysis, which is okay for you to do, it's very useful, but you can do it every week. It's, a, it's an expensive thing. And I know that businesses prefer to snooze this qualitative research. So it's always better if you create processes internal that bring this data automatically to you. So just a little example, your cancellation experience asking about expectations not being met in the right way, your cancellation experience asking about alternatives 
So a couple of questions that you can ask instead of asking what is the what is the the competitor that you are choosing from now on and listing their names, you can describe solutions. You can say the the solution that helps me do that, helps me do this, helps me do X, helps me do Y. So that was a little change that I have done in a previous client. Instead of listing their competitors, we listed the description of their competitors so that we could understand what is the job that they wanted to do with them. So that's one. Then on the other side, you can go to onboarding and ask for expectations and demographics, of course. So by mixing expectations that they have and that you source from the onboarding with demographics and jobs to be done that are not met and alternatives with demographics on a, on a cancellation level, then you can do this sort of the same analysis automatically. Yeah. You can automate it and then continue to feed and like good insights to the team on how to work on things. Another thing as well, I think is also very interesting to look at is in, like in the context of the churn exit survey, where we give a lot of focus to, I think, in churn retention. And again, often it's too late is also the inverse is really like, depending on your cycles, like if you're doing annual contracts predominantly, post renewal, asking the question as well of like, what nearly stopped you from renewing uh, this time around? Because that way as well, you're also likely to get really, really strong feedback from people that are still managed to stick around. So there might've been a couple of things that were really just pissing them off about your product, but they maybe needed it for too much in two way. So asking those users uh, will help you prevent a lot of the other, the churn that you see on the other end, because typically if some of the users, the users that are renewing their product and they're getting through, they're happy with it to some degree, but there are things that they're unhappy with. That's probably the greatest time you'll get some really, really strong feedback on what you can do to improve because I've just laid out my credit card for another year. Like I want to see some of these things fixed now as well. And instead of focusing the attention just on the, the churn exits, it's really about, okay, the people that survived, like what do they need after a year? Because you mentioned in the beginning of the show is that you might come to us today with a, a problem set and you have these specific use cases and needs. But your use cases and problems evolve over time as you mature in a product or service, your uh, understanding becomes different of the market, of the space, of the challenge, and you have new challenges. So thinking about that as well is another uh, one you can layer on top to even further clarify the picture. I think there's so many different techniques you can employ, but I think the general message is really like speaking to customers, gathering feedback. Like me, I think it's hands down, it can't be beaten, like any analytics that you're looking at. Analytics are super valuable and useful to give you a pulse of what's happening in the business for you to understand what is happening, but to understand why you've got to be speaking to customers, you've got to be collecting feedback, you've got to be on the ground. Uh, Ultimately, the your product analytics and your Google analytics and all sorts of analytics uh, will give you the direction of which are the right people for you to speak with, especially if you have lots of use cases that you're that you are uh, delivering if you have for example if you are a category software that delivers across a horizontal or across a vertical category of clients then you might have lots of use cases for example glowfox the company i'm working for at the moment fitness software they have a lot of use cases because there are a lot of different fitness software so in that case an initial quantitative analysis tells you which are the companies the businesses the people that you have to prioritize speaking Absolutely. And that's when it's most powerful is when they're used together to be able to bring qualitative and quantitative into the business. So I see we're running up on time. I want to make sure I ask a question, ask every guest. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario, which has probably happened to you in the past, is you join a new company, 
churner retention is not doing great at this company. The CEO comes to you and says, Angulus, like we really need to turn things around. We have 90 days to do it. You're in charge. What do you do? You catch. You're not going to tell me I'm going to speak to customers. Like we've been talking about this whole episode and understand the pain points and, and go from there. You're just going to pick one technique that you've seen that's been effective in reducing churn fast. And you're going to run with that blindly, hoping that it works at this new company. What would you pick to try and reduce churn quick? Mm. One technique. I would, I need a, I need a few seconds to think of it, but if I don't have these few seconds to think of it, I would use deflection tactics. So what I mean by deflection tactics for every user that, uh, that is, that is visiting the cancellation page and that initiates the cancellation experience, I would experiment with different offers. So in, not just offers, but also reminding the user of the benefits that they're going to lose. So reminding the user of what they're going to lose and a couple of offers to save them. That could be a lot of different things. That could be a little discount. That could be an extra feature. That could be anything. That's why I said experiment. So why deflection tactics? Because when you have a, a next number of churn, there is a Y number that is part of that, that is not savable that you can do nothing about it, that they will leave anyway. But then there is another part of churn, which is actually very big, that either is slightly disappointed or there is a misunderstanding between you and them. So by, by trying a little bit during their disappointment to save them, you might actually save a big, a serious chunk of them. Yeah. And now that I'm actually thinking I might have chosen another tactic. Yeah. Okay. What is <laughs> another tactic? Another tactic. Monitoring the activity chart. So I would also, or or I would replace that instead of monitoring the customer churn, I would start monitoring and sending signals to customer success people when activity gets significantly reduced. Actually, that would be the one. That would oh, be yeah. the one. <laughs> So you would focus then to enable to sort of prevent uh, churn tracks, like exactly. seeing when customers stop becoming engaged with the product or service and then uh, push it to CS so they can sort of uh, start working with those customers. Exactly, exactly. The focus would be on prevention, either one way or the other. Or the other. Cool. What's one thing that you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? One thing I know, it's something that can be caused from everything. It can be cause it can the the source of churn might be your positioning, your landing pages, your sales page, your price, your product, of course, your customer success. It can be everything and anything, and it's also everything and anything. It it's everywhere. Yep. That's that's a good insight that I that I should have had earlier. Absolutely, I think this is like we talked about this as well. But like a lot of companies in the beginning, they say, "Okay, it's customer success's job. Go out and do it." But really, it's like everything impacts it. It's the whole premise of the show as well is really just to sort of like, there's so many different inputs and to really dumb it down to a single metric is, is it really does it unjust, unjust, it's not even a word, but anyway, it's really just not a great, great way to view it. And coming from that lens of understanding that, okay, there's just all these different inputs that are, are influencing it is like, that's when alignment comes in with the company where people understand, okay, something that I'm doing in my role in supports and something someone in marketing. Both has an influence on uh, churn and retention. And if we work together and we have a good alignment to what we're trying to achieve, like that's when I think you really see step change in a business when uh, the company's aligned, they understand how each of their roles influences the final metric and uh, they can go out then in unison to sort of reduce it together. Exactly. Uh, 
Well, Angelo, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? And uh, like, how can they keep up to speed with your work? Any final thoughts? Yeah, try to be more humane. I, we are all in the tech industry. I know we are all into our graphs and into our numbers and into our very stressful jobs. But we are, we are ultimately building stuff for other people. So we have to... We have to remember our human nature and start exploring problems. As you can find more about me in my website, growthsandwich.com. And of course, if you want us to geek out about uh, churn or anything else, feel free to find me on LinkedIn and just send me a message and let's speak. Very cool. I will make sure to leave those notes uh, and anything discussed today in the show notes for you to catch up on. But yeah, thanks so much for joining today and uh, wish you best of luck going forward. Thank you. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.